0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Google. Each new day online is a balancing act for parents. You like your child to explore the digital world safely, but also want to protect the precious offline moments you enjoy together. Google's Family Link app helps parents set digital ground rules for their child's Android device. Approve or block app downloads, set limit on screen times, even create a bedtime for your child's phone or tablet. Family Link lets you choose a balance that's right for you and your family. To find out more and see how Google can help, search Google Family Link. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and culture. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm delighted to be joined today by Pano Canelos, who is president of the University of Austin. And, Pano, a lot of our listeners might not know much about the University of Austin, as after all, it is a new creation that you and a group of like minded people has created in order to pursue truth above cancel culture. Is that a fair way of putting it?
1: Thank you for having me, by the way. It's a great pleasure to speak with you. I would say that that's maybe something that's downstream from the general purpose of the university that the kind of encounter with cancel culture cancel culture, I think, is a, you know, a, a vexing feature of our society today, but it's not worth creating an entire institution simply to oppose. Mm. I would say the reason that we are are founding this new university, and we're still in the foundational process, we haven't opened a university, but we're moving rapidly in that direction, is, you know, taking Lincoln's dictum that a house divided against itself cannot stand, you know, we really feel that the the direction that we're going in in American culture, in Western culture, maybe even global culture right now, is ultimately untenable. That The polarization of society is pervasive and pernicious and that universities have a role in countering this trend.
0: It's obviously taking advantage of the sort of the free market for higher education that exists in America. But I've always thought one of the strengths of American higher education, I'm I'm well aware of the campus radicalism and so on and and the various culture wars that have been fought on American universities but I thought one of the strengths of American universities is that new institutions are popping up all the time I suppose what the difference is is a lot of these new institutions have been Christian of the last 20 years 30 years and they're trying to fight what they see as the sort of the radical left takeover of higher education you're suggesting something different am I right?
1: I think that's right. I mean, we have no intention of creating a sort of, you know, right-leaning version of counterbalance to what's predominantly left-leaning institutions of higher education. I mean, that would only exacerbate the problem. I think what we're trying to solve for is not that, that higher education is left or that it might one day be right, but that we think that higher education has a kind of, right now, a kind of deep asymmetry that institutions of higher learning should be oriented in ways that are you know kind of broad ranging and ecumenical and consensus building and you know communities that differ greatly in terms of their constituent members but who are all commonly committed to the pursuit of truth and you know the political asymmetry we find in society in, in our culture here the red versus blue Insofar as that becomes, you know, let's say the atmosphere that one finds in universities, universities are not functioning as they should.
0: Hmm. You left a, a pretty prestigious post as president of St. John's College in Annapolis. What drove you to make this move? It's quite a big jump. I think it's just,
1: you know, a sense that there's a deep need for a moment of intervention here in higher education. St. John's College is a wonderful place of rigorous education, sort of the platonic ideal of liberal arts education. But it's a a small institution, it's really, it's only a few hundred students, and it's really meant to be that kind of intimate, kind of um, inward-looking community. It's a place that manages, I think, to do a very good job of being, I, I wouldn't say apolitical, but being interested in things above and beyond politics, mostly. And therefore, it's, I think, politically a very well-balanced institution, both in terms of its faculty and students. And so the vision here is, you know, what if we can take that kind of inspiration and create, you know, a large, modern, comprehensive university, you know, that has many, many elements to it that are above and beyond what a small liberal arts college might have.
0: It was perhaps a bit facile of me to start talking about cancel culture. So I'm sorry for that. But I do think that free speech is clearly a driving force here behind the creation of your university. And I wondered if there were any examples of free speech being shut down, any particular examples that helped drive you towards getting involved in, in the University of Austin.
1: It's interesting. I think free speech is a, is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. The no. end always remains the sort of pursuit of truth. I mean, most importantly, at a university, at an institution of higher education, it has to be the fearless pursuit of truth. There has to be this sense that one can you know, ask difficult questions, inconvenient questions. One can say things that sometimes are radical or heterodox. One can be wrong without penalty. And so insofar as that intersects with free speech, I think it's essential to preserve that at, at an institution of higher learning. In our society, free speech is, is a society-wide condition. I mean, we, we're a free speech society. It's, universities don't need to be the places that, that maintain that space exclusively. And in many ways, free speech, I think, is not the job of universities. Learning, truth-seeking, productive conversation is the job of universities, which entails, in most cases, the greatest elasticity when it comes to our ability to speak to one another.
0: It's interesting that you've you've set up in Austin because I know there's been this drift from California to Austin in particular of if you like it free thinkers of some people call them the intellectual dark web I'd say a sort of a movement of people highly intelligent sometimes very wealthy people who are fed up of perhaps what they perceive as a suffocating intellectual atmosphere in California
1: Well, speaking as somebody who's only moderately intelligent, certainly not very wealthy, I'll give you my perspective (laughs) on on why I'm here. In many ways, Austin, it feels like it has a frontier quality right now. You know, there are many people who have sort of been jostled from where they are, who feel a sense of discontent with the, the culture that they're embedded in, many of those in California and elsewhere, who are looking for a place where they have a little bit more elbow room, let's say intellectually and otherwise. And once people start moving in to a particular place with that intention of in mind, then you have, it creates a kind of atmosphere. Mm. I think of Austin right now as a kind of one great big maker space and an intellectual maker space. There are tech entrepreneurs here. There are people doing very exciting, innovative things in the realm of education, not just higher education, K through 12. There are think tanks that are moving here. They're thinking deeply about governance and politics it's really a, the kind of community where you go to a dinner party and you sit around the table and there are a dozen people there all moving in fascinating directions but different directions all at the same time and that mm. kind of interconnectivity between these sort of creative thinkers these mavericks these innovative types is just building momentum in Austin it's really it's it's a it's fascinating place to be right now
0: and it's interesting because i mean for the last 30 40 years i think perhaps further Austin has been the more liberal city in Texas, right? But I think it would be fair to say what you're talking about is not the sort of advance guard of progressivism. It's an actual true liberalism, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Austin has a reputation for being liberal in Texas, but I would say that the the version of of liberal that you find in Austin is less about politics, per se, and more about a kind of free-spirited, it's a deep, you know, deeply artistic community, music... Theatre and that this is a place where a lot of people who are who are attracted to living on the kind of edge of things have come and Mm. so it's a very free thinking place
0: bit hippie even
1: it definitely has been hippie for for a very long time although. You know, now that now the hippies are watching everybody drive around in their Teslas and they're scratching their heads wondering, you know, what's happening to their town. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's a fascinating place. I think of it as kind of an edge city, not in the sense that it's far out from other places, but it's on very, it's on several different edges of the culture at the same time. And I think that's a very fruitful environment, you know, and, and it's a place many of the people moving here are conservative and moving into Austin itself and they're attracted to the fact that they can be somewhere where they're regularly interacting with people who are not conservative. You know, it's it's just, it's a rich environment of, Austin has a history, I think, of bringing people together. Because it's a blue city and a great big red state, bringing people together more regularly who share different opinions than many other places in our country.
0: And it's quite a big undertaking to set up a university. Uh, how far along are you? How close are you to launch Are the grounds all developed? Have you got all the facilities in place and so on? We're moving very
1: quickly. It is a large endeavor. We decided to make a kind of public launch, you know, sort of early in the development phase because we were sort of eager to build this university kind of by the light of day so that people could see what we're doing. We could get people who are interested in what we're doing far and wide to kind of join us. We could even put our our ideas and our institution out there for kind of open critique, you know, which we've received, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the commentary has been critical of what we're doing, but much of it in thoughtful and productive ways. And so if you're an institution that's about open inquiry and civil discourse, exposing your creation process to that, I think is in keeping with the spirit of the institution. Over this coming year, you know, between now and and the end of 2022, we will be doing lots of things that a university does. We're, you know, preparing summer courses and we're getting ready to launch, launch a master's course. We're gonna be holding symposia and conferences. We're going to be producing some lectures and things that we'll make available for free to the public, probably online. We are closing in on a campus site. We have uh, some strong prospects there and I think we're very close. And as soon as we do that, we're gonna start building a campus. We have architectural renderings of our vision already in, in place. So we'll start building that. And so I think that the timeline from now till when we become a university on a campus, regularly welcoming undergraduate and graduate students is probably about three to four years, hopefully three years, maybe four. We'll, we'll see how things go.
0: Still seems amazingly fast to me. You, you talked about fair criticism, but as a grubby journalist, I'm, I'm more interested in unfair criticism. Have you felt hurt or Wounded by some of these sort of attempts to describe you as a, as a sort of far-right plot, which I think there have been some of those.
1: No, I can honestly say I haven't been. I mean, it, I don't think it's always pleasant to hear, but I have not felt hurt by it. I think in some ways, we as an institution bear some responsibility for our public image. And, you know, we kind of came out aggressively, I would say, in our critique of higher education. And I think many people read into that things that they were already predisposed to believe that if you have, you know, if you have any kind of critical mass of people who are on the right doing something, they could only possibly be doing that because they're interested in issues that are pertinent to the right. And they didn't really carefully look at us and say wait a second there's actually a really broad range of people involved in this project and so there must be something else going on there so i i think there's a you know a bias towards let's say over identifying projects with the right when when they have any particular affiliation people who are affiliated with right are involved with the project and, you know, I don't think that's fair, but I I understand it. I understand the world that we live in, and it's a misapprehension. And I, I'm never pained by when people are wrong. I'm only pained if I do something to something that leads them to be mistaken.
0: Well, the writer Andrew Sullivan often says that we all live on campus now is one of his big lines, that it's not just higher education, it's every facet of American life, from jobs to social clubs to anything, to sports or whatever. Is It's all... It's all taken on student politics and the kind of the blinkered aspects of student politics, if you like. Are you hopeful that your university and others will be able to create a different society in America? It's a bigger thing than just education.
1: That is certainly a hope. It sounds so grand to say that a university that is just, you know, just getting underway and just working towards its own foundation could do anything such as change society. But I do think what we hope to trigger is the kind of conversations that will ripple outward from the foundation of this institution that might have a broader impact than just the founding of one university. And our hope I think is to to model a community dedicated to truth-seeking, dedicated to dialogue and conversation, that is just so compelling that we have other competitors arising rather rapidly, that it just that people to say this, well, this is where I would like to send my kids and other people start other universities and maybe, you know, and maybe programs within universities start. I mean, we, I mean, the response has been unbelievable just to the concept of this institution. We, you know, we've really just launched a little over a week ago and we have had over 3,500 inquiries from faculty at other universities seeking employment with us. We don't exist yet. <laughs> We're in the process of development. We've had 3,500 in a week the fact at other places saying that the model that you're talking about, what you're presenting in the world is, is so interesting. Here's my CV, <laughs> you know, give, yeah. give me a thought. We've had over, I think the number right now is about 11 or 12,000 inquiries from prospective students and their families saying, how do I apply? When are you going to open? And again, so what we're presenting to the world, a vision that is one of a university that rises up above quotidian politics, that returns the fundamental idea of truth-seeking as the core activity of the university, has a kind of gravitational pull in the culture and the moment that we find ourselves in today.
0: That's interesting. uh, The professors who are getting in touch with you, are they saying that they're fed up and they feel very restricted in their current roles are they are they tenured people?
1: I mean, as you might imagine, with over three thousand individuals, it's the whole range. Some of them are very senior, very tenured people who hold endowed chairs at other institutions mm. who some of them say they're not they're kind of discontent with where they are. Some are saying, we like what you're building. We want to contribute to that. Some are younger faculty members who feel the same way in both directions. And some are just, you know, they're, they're not necessarily saying, I want to leave my prestigious university here, but I want to do something with you. What can I do? Can I deliver mm. lectures? Can I find students for you? You know, et cetera. Can I make other recommendations? And so, you know, there's there's definitely a kind of, I would say, a, a mass of interest from within the academy for what we're doing at this moment.
0: Well, Pano, it's an extremely interesting project and I wish you the very best of luck with it. Um, thank you for coming on.
1: My great pleasure. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.